0: Hey Toy Family, welcome to the Marsham Toy Hour where we discuss anything and everything designer toys. I'm Gary Hamm. I'm Teresa Hawkins. I'm George Gaspar. And we did it, two episodes into season five. I didn't think we'd be recording this soon, I thought we'd be doing every other week.
1: I'm saying two weeks in a row, look at us go. Look at that. I'm proud of us. Who
0: would have thought... We were going to take a little more casual, laid-back approach to this season. Hey, if we don't have enough stuff to talk about that week, we'll just skip it go on to the next one. But actually, right before last week's record, we discovered there's a new show streaming on Amazon Prime called Master Mastercasters. It's about the resin bootleg scene. It's a documentary about it. And we just didn't have enough time to watch it before last week's record. So we figured, hey, let's just save it for next week, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk a little Master Mastercasters today. It makes sense. And rather than us just talking on what we saw, I thought we would bring on a guest who has a little more insight into the documentary. So joining us today is the producer and director of Mastercasters, Timothy Patrick. Thanks for joining, Timothy. Thank you,
2: Gary. Thank you. It's a,
0: it's a real pleasure
2: to be on your on your podcast. I've heard about you for so many years. I've, uh, you know, I've talked to George a few times, um, but uh, glad to be here. And Teresa, nice to meet you.
0: Nice to meet you too. So Timothy, I mean, as I mentioned in the intro, the designer toy seems is very excited about this documentary that you put together, Master Mastercasters, and it's been getting lots of shares. It seems like every time I go on social media, I'm seeing someone mention it, and it's getting a, a really great feedback. That must be awesome for you to see. Yeah, it's
2: actually surprising. You know, I uh, I've been working on this thing for a while, and you know, the audience has been growing while I've been working on it, but the reaction to just having it up on Amazon ha- has been great and you know, a lot of positive feedback. And um, I really, I couldn't ask for anything more.
0: So how long ago did you actually start filming of this? Cause uh, George is, looks much younger. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I, I'd say George looks healthier now. Yeah. Uh, to be honest. He's got
0: his act together now. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I figured you guys would be curious about that. When I filmed George, that was in 2016. Okay. And that was maybe my third interview. My first interview was in the end of uh, 2015. So it, it's been a journey.
1: Yeah, years in the making.
2: Yeah, years in the making. And and that's for many reasons. Mm-hmm. One of them is uh, I'm like uh, Dick Van Dyke in uh, Mary Poppins. I'm like a one-man band on this project. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So you're Trent Reznor. Yeah, exactly. So it took time. And, you know, I actually started it as a side project, figuring, ah, this will just be something to distract me from my other short film. But it proved to be a a long journey. Um, I actually finished it in... um, My final interview was in 2018. So the film was done early 2019. Okay. And I took that year uh, to submit to film festivals and, uh, played a few, uh, toy festivals. And then the start of the new year, I threw it up on Amazon.
0: Okay. Now you make it seem like throwing it up on Amazon is some easy thing. I mean, that, that's not really the case, right? Is that something to where maybe Amazon saw it at one of the events and reached out to you to help distribute it? Or is it something that you go to them and ask for their help and getting it up on their service?
2: Uh, Yeah, I wouldn't say it's easy. You got to know what you're doing. I'm lucky enough. I, you know, I consider myself an indie filmmaker uh, and I I even have a podcast. I'll I'll do a shameless plug. It's called Indie Film Grit. And uh, I invite indie filmmakers and all types of people on. And one of my episodes, I talked to a a distributor and uh, we hooked up and it's available to all indie filmmakers. You just got to do it right. And then they get it up there. Nice. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's funny, I've been thinking about this in sort of a philosophical way, not to go off on a tangent, but the reaction I've been getting from people that it's on Amazon, it definitely gives it some credibility, you know? Yeah. I mean, in reality, whether you're watching a video on YouTube or Amazon, it's the same thing, you know? But um, yeah, it's been really exciting to get it up there. 'Cause people are watching their shows on prime video and then, you know, they can watch my documentary. So it's cool.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's just the the mysteriousness of it all, like what Gary said, it sounds like it's some fancy thing. Like Amazon reached out and said, Yes, we want your film up. So it just feels feels special.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, I'm that's curious. great. We'll take it.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it's cool. I I'm curious, so what like I I don't know you. This is my first time meeting you. So have you been a part of the scene and know the scene? And that's what, and like you're a bootleg collector and that's what made you want to make the film or like how, I don't know your connection to the scene and what brought you into making this documentary.
2: Right. Well, that's a great question. And yeah, it's not like somebody was like, oh, hey, you know, why don't you make a movie about us? It, it, It didn't happen that way basically i've always been a fan of toys since i was a kid you know right when you get too old for toys and you know you're supposed to be thinking about girls and stuff i kept (laughs) buying toys i kept buying them but in my mind (laughs) i was uh, they were investments so i I, you know i never really stopped caring about toys and my heart is in the 80s um, for various reasons so a few years ago maybe 2013 I started going deep on Instagram and I started seeing all these homemade action figures and I was just amazed that these people are doing what I love and you know I've made customs myself over the years never even thinking oh that's a scene I want to get into or anything like that but I was fascinated by these guys and you know looking at Instagram I was just like how do they do it? How does it work? Who, who are the main guys? Who does this? You know, just like a lot of people who discover it. So I, I tried to learn as much as I could. I ended up going to my first decon in 2014. And I was like, wow, this is real. You know, <laughs> I guess I was late to the game. But um, and that in turn, just like a lot of other people that go to decon I was inspired to make my own toys, like legit. Yep. So, <laughs> for about I don't know six to eight months, I was pouring resin, cracking molds, you know, making He-Man mashups, all, all types of stuff, just for myself. But then at, at one point, I realized, why am I doing this? Like, <laughs> do I really want to hawk my wares like these guys? It's not easy, and I I, I see what people do and. I I really respect it. So I was like, what if I stop making toys and I just make a movie about the guys already making toys? Uh And, you know, once I met the suck I was like, there's the keystone. That's the (laughs) that's the character that's going to get me through the story. And that was it. I didn't know anybody. I, I didn't have any friends in the scene. I followed a few on Instagram. But um a years long journey of getting to know these guys, getting to understand why they do what they do their own particular styles and, and personalities. And nobody knows me from Adam, you know? So in the beginning it was extremely difficult, you know, they'd be like, Oh yeah, I've been interviewed for three docs. Nobody finished it. You know, it's like that sort of thing. So I, I got a few. I think E.T.C. toys. Extra Terrestrial was my first. I really liked what he was doing, and I was going to be in his area. And um, after that, I I secured the Sucklord because I figured if I get the Sucklord, everybody else <laughs> will join in.
0: Yeah, because like you said, he's the key to this whole thing.
2: So yeah, that that one one day, I flew to New York for two days by myself with like four bags of gear, went to his place, interviewed him. Went to my hotel, went to sleep, then went to Healy Maid's place, interviewed him, and then got out of New York. So it's been a really bare bones passion project. To even call it micro budget is a little, you know, excessive because I'm, I am was just paying as I could as I, as I went, you know. So that's part of the reason why it took so long. But the other reason is I had to gain the trust of these people, you know. And you could, you could ask for an interview and not hear back from somebody for six
0: months. Oh, I know. I've, I've sent out many (laughs) invites just for the, just for the podcast. It's not, it's not easy getting uh, guests. No, it's not. We
1: (laughs) we know that very well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
2: And you also know the scene, right? These aren't the most approachable people, some of them. Mm -hmm. So not in a bad way. (laughs) No, not in a bad way, but I think I
0: know what you mean. We've reached out to several people to come on the show. And for the most part, most people respond, but, we've learned that a lot of people are just shy the, the creative is a lot of creatives are just introverted they feel more comfortable talking to you via dm or email they're not necessarily interested in talking in a, re- a real-time format especially one that's recording them or you know showing their face on something so i get
2: that yeah and i respect that i mean they're expressing themselves through their art um that's that's why they do it they're not accustomed to you know, being articulate. There's some were more articulate than others, the Sucklord being one of them. And so I, I knew, and you know, basically, I didn't even have a story. I just, for my own selfish reasons, I want to figure out the entire scene, figure out who were the players, what what it took to do it, what it took them to get up there, how long it took them to do that, the whole process. And so I was really interested. And I that's what, That's why I embarked on it, and that's why I worked on it for so long. And now I feel like this is its in no way a definitive history or look at the bootleg world, but it's such a hard scene to define that I feel like there's now a basis of a story there. People can look at it Mm -hmm. and say, oh, that's how it falls into place. Because you'd be surprised, even interviewing artists, they don't know – the history or who's doing what everybody's in their own little bubble so i really wanted to put together uh sort of a comprehensive um you know story that was going to actually be my my main question for you is did you have a narrative
3: that you wanted to tell before you went in but sounds like you didn't because the movie itself has a pretty nice narrative flow throughout the whole thing like as people talk about their what they're doing and they mention someone else, you kind of jump to the next guy and the next guy, like it actually flows really, really nicely throughout the you know, twenty-something minute runtime. Um, yeah. Well, it, flows, you, it flows well throughout the whole thing as everyone talks about what they're doing, who did this first, who who's the next guy that inspired them, or who where did they or who do they think they inspired, and it kind of jumps from name to name and it flows really nicely. So here you didn't have cause. I I would almost think you would have to ask the right questions to get the people to talk about the right thing. But to hear that everyone just kind of talked randomly without knowing what the other one was saying and you figured it out, that's pretty
2: impressive. Thank you. That was important to me. I mean, as I went on, I started to discover certain threads that uh, I found fascinating. And even before my first interview, I had the idea that I wanted to explore two veterans in the scene and two newbies, right? So that was my basic thing. And also I wanted to explore this sort of, you know, abstract idea of defining what they're doing because uh, as you, you have all seen the movie and I get into in the second bit or the, the final bit about the difference between a bootleg and an indie toy or an indie toy and an art toy or a designer toy and an indie toy. There's so many words out there and George, you have a great line in there. You say, uh, you know, once you start asking for definitions, uh, it doesn't work. So. Yep. so, so I did have a vague uh, idea of what I wanted to do, but the truth of the matter is, I had to find those threads. And, you know, even making the film, even shooting the film, people would ask, "Oh, so what are you going to do? You're going to throw up a, a a card that says." Um, Healy made and then go into Healy made or throw up a card that says what is a bootleg toy and then go into that Um, This is my second documentary and in the first one I was able to do this same style which is I want it to be One complete sentence one complete song, you know, I want it to flow from this topic to the other without Forcing uh, the subject change, whether that be title cards or whatever. So I appreciate that you picked up on that, George. To me, that's one of my finest accompl- accomplishments on this. Is the 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 way it, the threads work throughout the film in a in a conversational way. Yeah, it's
3: all to- it totally feels like you're watching a conversation. There's no it, it, you know, like you said, it doesn't have that harsh jump to something like, new topic over here. Look over here. No, it, yeah. it
2: works. It works really well. Well, thank you,
0: Julie. Yeah, I totally enjoyed it. And one of the nicest things about it is it, that it was on Amazon Prime. You mentioned it's you know there's not much difference between something being on there and YouTube, and I don't think that's true. With it but being on Amazon Prime, it does give it that legitimacy. But there's also people that go there and just look for documentaries, and they might watch this not having any idea about the designer toy scene or anything. Plus, there's other people like let's say Teresa and myself, or really anybody in the designer toy scene, they kind of only know the artists that they follow or the, or the things that they collect. Uh, the cute collectors probably aren't going to know a whole lot about the designer toys bootleg scene, if anything at all. We had several people that were on your documentary on this podcast, Suck Lord, Killer Bootlegs, uh, Dove Kellimer of DKE Toys, but that was all before Teresa. So Teresa, from your perspective, how was it watching this documentary? Was it Was it enlightening for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's you're spot on Gary. I wasn't doing the podcast when those guests came on and I know we've talked about bringing someone else on while um with me being a host now, but yeah, like it's not an area of the scene I understand or truthfully I've I've really gotten. I know it exists, but I've always kind of been like I don't get that. I don't get why it exists. It's just a confusing area for me. It's a big question mark. And I look at it and I'm like Mm, it's kind of the same when I look at like the gross gory side of the scene right where I used to be like I don't get it and I've been learning more and kind of understanding and unearthing details about what exactly that is and why it exists and so you all were talking about master casters and I was like all right like I'm gonna I'll watch this and the whole time I'm like sitting there and I'm like I've never heard that artist I've other than Sucklord. But I'm like, I don't know who that artist is. And I'm like sitting and looking them up. And I'm like, I've never heard that artist sitting and looking them up. And it was so intriguing just to get a, just a better understanding of of that side of the scene. Because in my head, when I hear bootleg, I have a certain definition. And I think after watching Mastercasters, that definition is sort of grade. Because to me, bootleg is a straight up copy like someone steals your toy and goes and tries to make it and sell it as that thing that's in my head typically what a bootleg is but this bootleg side of the scene with action figures is different and it was also intriguing to me how vast the approach can be that everyone kind of has their different way of dealing in the scene uh, in the bootleg scene as far as how they design and what they do and where they feel like they fit and I just didn't even know about any of that I just thought okay, there's just people like taking the, like you said, George, taking the head of one and slapping it on a body and calling it a day. And I didn't even realize that it was so mismatched. And as well, like I didn't realize they were also casting as much as they did. So I found it very interesting. For someone as me, I would call myself a bootleg noob. It it kind of made me understand that side of the scene a lot better.
2: Well, that's great. I mean, that's kind of, what i was going for I, i'm not just making this movie for the artist or their fans I, I tried to make it a comprehensive introduction to the subculture and you know i totally get it everybody has the things that they like i i was never into uh dunnies or urban vinyl or or that sort of thing i understand people are and that's great but once i saw the bootleg scene i instantly understood it i was like I mean, not the intricacies, but the art, the the passion, the nostalgia, all that. It fit right into my wheelhouse. So, and I knew it hadn't been explored, you know? <laughs> so most of the stuff I looked on, I saw on YouTube was, you know, sort of the other end of the designer toy world.
1: Yeah. And that's like, we all have our own pockets, but the more you learn, you realize it's such a vast spectrum. But was it, what was also intriguing to me is the bootleg saying is almost a scene in our wider scene. And I did not at all realize how many artists there are went, in my head. I knew about a couple, but it's like, there's tons.
0: Uh-huh. Like it's,
1: it almost, I don't know, Gary, George, again, I'm still kind of a new, but when I started looking and seeing the list of people, it almost felt like much, much larger than I had in my head. The yeah, people I mean, doing that.
3: Stuff. In the documentary that you know, you talk to a handful of people, but then you flash that one screen where yeah. there's all the names you pop up and it's like that's I'm sure that's just the tip of the iceberg. It's it, it yeah. is amazing how many people are doing this kind of thing.
0: And so, every day there's more. And no one uses their real name.
3: <laughs> Maybe just Healy, because he's that's his actual name, right? <laughs>
0: Yeah, this is last name, so I guess yeah. Healy's the closest that I can think of.
2: Like, it's a branding thing, you know. It's uh, it it's instead of Kenner, what are you gonna put on the card art, you know? And I I don't think it's uh, limited just to the resin bootleg scene, as uh, you guys know uh, more about the other scenes, I'm sure. But uh, you think about like Buff Monster, or you know, there there's there's other names out there and different. And I think a lot of it stems from kind of the street art vibe the the hint that this may be illegal i'm not going to show my face or or say my name and i think as the scene has grown um less and less people are worried about that but i'm not going to mention who but one of the people i interviewed um would only do it if i signed a contract saying that i would blur his face out oh, wow so there is that kind of illegal street art mentality um, by the end of it, you know, he and I have become great friends and I d- fortunately didn't have to do it. But, yeah, I think there is a little bit of uh, hiding in the shadows with these guys. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah.
0: I think
1: the other thing is it seems like there's this sort of rivalry aspect and, I don't know, I just wonder if that's part of the secrecy and mystery too, that people are kind of... I don't know seems kind of competitive in the bootleg side of like trying to claim i don't know claim an idea and i guess by being under a moniker you're less likely to get i don't know beat up on
0: <laughs> but that was what was interesting about especially towards the end of the the documentary is they have Sucklord mentioning that most of the designer toy scenes seems to play nice except for the bootleg side there's he mentioned there's wars going on and beefs and rivalries and broken alliances. And it sounds like there's a lot of drama on that side of the scene. It's not something that I've ever followed closely enough to even know that stuff was going on, but I mean, it doesn't surprise me at all. So it was interesting how you chose to end it, Timothy, because it kind of ended on a note of kind of exposing that side of the scene for that sort of stuff. And Healy made was saying, but in why, why does this exist? Because at the end of the day, we're all bootleggers borrowing from someone else's IP.
2: Well, it's ironic, isn't it? I mean, the fact that they're claiming what they created is theirs, even though they stole it from somebody else, it's it's funny to me. And in the case of the movie, I, I think it also kind of uh, gives insight to the mentality of a lot of these guys. And also, it, it was a little bit of drama I could have in the film, you know? So... It makes things more exciting to, if the stakes are higher. You, you definitely found a good
0: hook. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that that's always been a part, I think, of the scene in general, right? Of of that sort of gray line of ownership of ideas versus um, kind of springboarding off, right? Inspired by versus copying. That's, that's not just the bootleg scene. That's everywhere. We constantly talk about that, about where is that line as far? you know, we can't, no one can sit and take claim to certain concepts, but when does being inspired by become copying? And I think it's the same, in a way, it sounds like the bootleggers have a similar mindset, even though they're bootlegging, meaning using parts someone else designed and they're, you know, they're still doing art, they're still compiling things and creating ideas and they don't want anyone else, you know, crossing the line and taking that same concept.
3: It is funny how they, like, there's this whole, Mentality in that scene of that you got to be the first guy to put that thing out, like, like at Art Basel last year when that banana sold it, on the, like the banana that was taped to a wall, sold within like you know two minutes. There's a guy on Instagram posting his bootleg banana, like, <laughs> and then it was like fifteen other like other guys were like, ah, the next day they're like, damn it, like my bootleg banana's not ready yet. Like everybody wants <laughs> to be that first guy to get that bootleg banana up there, and it's kind of that whole thing in the scene where we're all we all grew up on the same movies and we all love the same things there's only so many there's only so many stormtroopers you could use you know it's like it's 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 weird so now now everybody's trying to go for the way more obscure thing and the way more (laughs) do you remember this at all like and just or just trying to be very first like as soon as it's on the air that night they're working on it they found like this thing is you got to get on it hot oh yeah
0: yeah, I imagine it's I imagine it's stressful for you know a lot of the bootleggers like, "Oh, I just saw that amazing SNL skit. That's going to be an amazing figure, but I got to get it out like the next day because if you wait 3 days, like you just said, someone else is going to beat you to the and punch." And not only that,
2: on David S. pumpkins. I'm
0: sad about that. <laughs> That's true. I would love yeah. that.
2: Um, I, what I was going to say, not only that are people racing to get it out whether it's Baby Yoda or mm, you know the Starbucks cup in Game of Thrones. People get upset if Someone drops a picture of, uh, you know, theoretical card art for the project without even casting it yet. You know, there's there's different layers to. Oh, that's the easy way out. You didn't even do it, but you're gonna grab all the all the money. So, mm. no, most of these guys, it's their passion. About that. It's 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 their art, and they want to be known, and they want their stuff to be sold, and they wanna they wanna sit at the table. So. Um, I don't blame him.
0: It would just stress me out. (laughs) Would any of this have happened without Sucklord? I mean, he's obviously the pioneer. As far as anyone knows, he is the first one to do this as an art form. Yeah. Had he not done this, I mean, it sounds like, you know, Killer Bootlegs and other people were doing this not knowing about Sucklord, but do you think it would have been as big? Has Sucklord not like been technically the first? Yeah,
2: you know, I think if it wasn't Sucklord, it would have been somebody. But the fact that Suckward is who he is also lends itself to that uh, me against the world thing. You know, it's like, uh, I'm the guy. You're going to like it or, you know, screw you. Um, So not only was he important in launching the scene, but I think he's important for establishing the sort of um, indie bootlegger trope of the artist.
1: Yeah.
0: And I love his honesty with it, too.
1: Oh, he's so honest. <laughs> but I think that's what makes him att- attractive, I guess. Like, attractive maybe is not the right word. But, like, as an artist, for him to just be like, <laughs> yeah, like, it may not be the best quality. I don't give a shit. Like, this is just me. It's what I'm making. Yeah. And, so, and so I think that honesty makes people, like, respect him as an artist and be like, this guy knows what he is and what he's doing. And he just, he owns it.
2: Right. And it's great. And, you know, I, I pull when I was making this film, I, I saw a lot of parallels between what he and other bootleg, uh, makers are doing and what I was trying to do with my film. You know, I didn't have money. I uh, was throwing it together by myself, but I wanted to take parts from here and here and here and bring it together and make it into something new that I was proud of that would, you know, maybe inspire people, maybe in, inform people. So I'm even happy. I almost take the suck mentality on this film because as you guys know, you've seen it, um, some of the footage isn't the best. And I literally could uh, justify every shot in that film from an artistic standpoint if I needed to based on the bootleg mentality. So I think it, it, it all works for me and the project and you got to respect Sucklord for doing that. You know, he's his personality can be a little off-putting, but he's really intelligent. He's articulate, and you know, he's charming in his own way. Mm-hmm.
3: Absolutely. What was the uh, what was the topic of the other documentary you made?
2: Uh, well, I used to work at the Roxy Theater on the Sunset Strip. Um, I was kind of the in-house video guy, shooting bands and whatnot. And my buddy was a booker there. And I decided to make a doc about him. And it's called The Booker. We shot it all black and white, you know, kind of noir style. Cause he kind of dresses like a old school New York guy in like the Dick Tracy days. But um, yeah, like halfway through he died. My oh. friend died. <clears throat> yeah. Oh
1: my God.
2: So that film is also very personal, but in a very different way because I had to switch gears Use the footage I already had and it became more of a a memorial to my friend than what we had intended originally, but that actually won a a best documentary short at a L.A. Indie Film Festival. But uh, once again, that that was uh, thrown together. Um, I'm an indie filmmaker, you know, just like these indie bootleg toy makers. So I'm just I'm just doing my art. And if it gets better each time, I'm happy. And that's kind of the direction I'm headed in, you know.
0: Well, I can certainly say that Mastercasters has made a lot of people in our scene happy, and we thank you very much for that. And I've read a lot of comments of people saying it's just too short. You left a lot of people wanting more. Is this a one and done for you, or do you see yourself doing more films in this area? No, I think uh,
2: this entire scene, even, even broader than the, the bootleg toy scene, ha- has yet to really see the light of day. You know, it's still kind of in the shadows and um, people can argue with me. But the fact of the matter is, I think it, it lends itself to all types of things. Like, I mean, if I had the money, if someone paid me to do this, it would have been a feature film. You know, I just can't spend 20 years of my life. You know, every every two months, a new uh, bootleg resin artist comes out and he says, you got to put me in. So I, I, had to, I had to snap it off at one point, but... Um, one of the things I like about my documentary too, it's not just, I go to their booth, shoot them and that's their segment. A lot of these guys, you see them through the years in that short 24 minutes, you can tell their hair's different, different location. Um, so I wanted to give it kind of a, uh, you know, a lived in type thing, not to sound like George Lucas, but you know, like it, it, there's more than just here, here's their case in the booth and here's their headshot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that also took time.
3: Yeah. And I like that it's not just a, like, a, here's how to make bootleg toys things. Like, there's, you know, there's so many places you can go to look up, like, how to make molds and casting. Like, you don't focus on that. It's a, it's a real story about people. It's cool.
0: Yeah. You definitely wanted me, you know, left me wanting more. I wanted, like, um, now that I know that there was rifts and rivalries, I'm trying to figure out, was there anybody in the documentary that didn't get along? It didn't It didn't show in the documentary, but I had to imagine maybe it was Hell there. Ah, yeah. oh, there was a snippet. Didn't you feel it with the whole suckler killer bootlegs? Yeah, a little bit, certainly, but you only get like a hint of it. Like for Suckler to mention the entire scene is kind of at war of each other. You kind of wanted to see a little more of that, a little more knowledge of what was really going on. But yeah, you get a sense that there, there was something, there was also something interesting where dollar slice bootlegs was mentioning, Oh, he's a wave three guy. So if a person was to come in now, what wave does that put them at?
2: They'd probably be, um, at least wave five or six at this point. I mean, you go do... I was in uh, Brooklyn. That's where we premiered the the film at uh, Five Points. Um, there's guys there in high school doing it. So it just keeps growing. And, you know, somebody on Instagram uh, took a picture of their son, I guess, uh, holding up his first bootleg toy that he cast. And he did it right after he watched Mastercasters. Casters. That's crazy. So it's never ending. It, it's just going to keep keep going and going and going. And that's why part of me was like, I got to get on this and solidify the the foundation, at least in my head. <laughs> you know, I'm crazy like that. If I'm really interested into something, I I, I want to figure it all out. You know what I mean? Or at least get close. Obviously, there's a few artists that were uh, along the way that I just didn't have access to, you know, some are in Europe um, Some are, you know all over the world at this point point. Um, and you know some of the guys were a little butthurt that they weren't in there in the dock um, I think me putting all the logos I could um, was kind of a shout out to all the guys I didn't get to and, and all the up-and-coming guys and uh, You know it played at a at a toy show in Canada and a lot of those guys didn't even expect it, but they saw their logo, and I, I think it's good to celebrate everybody in the scene. You know,
0: I thought, yeah, you did a great job, and like we were, we're always advocates for any way to get the knowledge out there that this the scene exists. It's just, you know, it doesn't grow nearly as fast as everyone wants. We're still, like you said, we're still kind of in the shadows a little bit. So thank you so much for doing this and opening a lot of people's eyes to the the world the designer toys and resin bootlegs Well, oh, hey man thank you well timothy thanks so much for joining and talking about it i think anyone who hasn't already streamed it on amazon definitely do that after you listen to this to finish this podcast it's called master casters and it's streaming right now on amazon prime thank
2: you gary had a lot of fun i'll just say uh can uh can I give him my uh, Instagram as well? At Mastercasters underscore. Because that seems to be where the, the action's at. But thank you, Gary. And thank you, George. And thank you, Teresa. Yeah, I'm
3: glad, I'm yeah. glad I ran into you. I'm glad I ran into you the other day. And uh, I also, anyone who's interested in indie film in general should go definitely go check out his podcast. It's Indie Film Grit. Just look it up on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Thanks for the plug, George. <laughs> of course. Love you guys. Take care.
3: All right,
0: take care. Okay. All right, thanks for joining. Bye-bye. Well, that was nice having Timothy join us and giving us a nice peek into like all the years and all the effort that went into it and him not having a roadmap as to how the documentary was done. That was cool. Yeah, that was
1: interesting. Nice little peek behind the curtain.
0: Yeah, it's been fun diving in more to the resin bootleg side of the scene a little bit more this week. And I found it interesting to find out that pressure of the being the first to market on something, that first idea of something, that claim to that thing. Um, but also I find it kind of interesting is how many people go to the conventions and learn about this sort of thing themselves. And they're like, oh... I can be a maker too. I have an idea for a great mashup. And they go home and they learn how to do it themselves. But with that said, I also wonder how many people within that resin bootleg scene are kind of one and dones. Because not all of them are necessarily creative types or artists or creators. They might have that one great idea, but do they have that longevity of a Healy or a Suck Lord or a Killer Bootlegs, you know? They can't all be. So I imagine many of them are kind of one hit wonders, they get in and they get out.
3: I bet you there are. And I, and I i don't think that if you ask Sucklord, I don't think he would even say all of his are hits. I'm sure that some of them are just, you know, ones that he liked or he liked the idea and didn't sell, you know, just a bummer, bummer thing that no one connected to. But there's I'm sure that there's probably people who have done that, who someone has a great idea first and they get it out there and then that was it. They just don't either they realize how hard it is to do all that work or. They just don't have another idea that's as good as that one.
1: Yeah. Well, you like even in the, the doc, I mean, it's it seems clear that there are like sometimes they hit a gem, right? Whether it's good timing or the perfect parody or mashup or just something like, you know, like a SNL skit that blew up like a baby Yoda type of thing. Right. Where it's all over the Internet and they just kind of struck gold. And I feel like there are certain it seems like certain figures. That sort of reached that peak. I mean, I think was it wasn't the doc talking about like someone's piece on eBay selling for like thirteen hundred bucks or something?
3: Yeah, and our, I think that might have been the other. There's another uh, another look at another peek at indie stuff on YouTube by someone else, and I think that was in that one, if I'm not mistaken. Uh,
2: um,
3: before, but before we get into that one, it actually kind of leads into that one as well. But the thing that I really like uh got out of that masters casters was the look at the the kind of two different there's there's almost like two very different styles of bootleg people there's there's the guys that are taking parts and making characters in their own world you know and like creating new things and then there's guys who are making toys from things that never had toys like like the like the two-bit hack has the uh the Spaceballs figures or the, the uh crap, I can't remember the name, the Blazing Saddles figures. It's like things that don't like things that never had a toy line. And and then there's the guys like Sucklord who are making, you know, a character out of it, or like the Star Killer from is it Star Killer from Killer Bootlegs? Like he's taking these other toys, mashing them up and creating a whole new character out yeah.
1: of it. Yeah. It's intriguing. It's a good point, because there's that piece, George. And then there's also, I think it was intriguing for me to learn about the quality differences and how, like, some are thinking about making it really pristine and high quality. Some really want detailed articulation, and some just want to mash up the thing, and if the quality is eh, it's, eh. Like, it was intriguing to me to hear the variety on that side as well.
3: Yeah, I mean, there are definitely guys like... Uh- I'm sure Teresa, you've never seen or held a, a David Healy toy in your hand. But if you ever get to see one or hold one, you'll see that they're pristine. Like and, and they talk about it in there, but like it's not it's it's even more than that when you look at it in person. Like his paint lines are crisp. Everything is perfect. The figure itself is just like this amazing work of art that you're just like, man, how do you sell that for eighty bucks or whatever it is? Like it must have been hours of you know, I don't know if anybody, if you ever painted a toy, but getting a nice straight line and clean, perfect paint, especially in like a yellow, it's hard to do. And he he really puts the time in and makes these things like there's no air bubbles, there's no you know, there's no imperfections in the toy. You don't have a seam line from where you molded it. It's like he goes in and makes sure that it's a perfect piece. And then there's a guy like Sucklord who his whole thing was about kind of like the lower end like he's kind of just getting the idea out on some of that yeah. and some of the stuff, there's not a lot, there's some of it where he doesn't do that, where he he'll say he's, he is, but you know, it's, it's still a higher quality than he, than he's saying it is. But yeah, there's definitely, there's a whole different variety of people out there. The different, I mean, it's almost could be a different skill level too, like, or, you know, how much time you want to put into this thing. Whereas, you know, sucklers just trying to get the whole idea out where Healy's trying to create this, like, art piece, you know?
1: Yeah. Now, the stuff you've done, so, like, the sculpts you've done for DKE, um, the Scott... Scott C. It? Scott C. Is that in this realm? Is it a bootleg?
3: Um, I mean, I guess technically it fits in that, in what they're called bootlegs, but, like, there are no... There are there are hundred percent original sculpts. So it's not like but the okay. idea that you're stealing is not, you know, the, it's still you're still bootlegging because you're taking someone else's idea, I guess. See, it's that's, tough. Like it's, it's 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 where do you draw the line and all this stuff? Right.
1: That's where I struggled because when I was when I was watching Mastercasters. Uh, like I'm trying to formulate an idea of what this is because I think we talked about bootlegs I don't know a season or two ago and again my head was in the mindset of like straight up copy try to sell it as its own bootleg but like <laughs> my definition of that and understanding of that has evolved and changed and grown because it's not just that bucket and so when when I'm watching this like trying to learn more about it Like, do those that call themselves bootleggers or fit into the bootleg scene, do they all share a commonality of building off an existing action figure piece? So meaning they go, like, they're literally going and buying mass produced stuff from a target, right? And then taking the pieces apart and casting a hand from this and a leg from this and a helmet from this and resin casting. And that is true to the bootleg and everyone else is more just branches around the periphery. Or is it broader than that?
3: It's strange because everybody does it a little differently and everybody, if, you know, it depends on the amount of talent you have behind it. Like if you're, some of these guys don't sculpt, but they can mash up a figure, you know, mash up a bunch of figures together and the end result is amazing. And some of them sculpt the whole thing from scratch. So it's, it's, it's all, it just depends on, it's all the, whatever gets you to the end result you're looking to get to, I guess. That's why it's really kind of hard to define what this stuff is. It's just called bootlegs because no one really has a better name for it.
1: Yeah. So there are some people who you're saying sculpt from scratch, even though they may say, I want to sculpt this torso to look like the torso of this figure. They may not be just doing a direct cast. They're redoing it on their own.
3: I would imagine they'd probably just if they're going if they're if they're looking for a specific torso they'd probably just use it. But then that doesn't mean they don't alter it in some way. Like they could maybe sand down a piece of armor and sculpt a new piece of armor on top, you know, or something okay. like that, or add a add a belt that wasn't there, or things like that. So it, it's kind of hard because it's all it's so varied in the different styles that unless you know, like the nice thing about Sucklord's pieces or a lot of the earlier stuff was if, if you knew the references he was pulling from and that toy box of his that he got from since he was a kid, you know, that you can find out like, oh, this is the arms of this thing. I remember that from, you know, and this is the, the legs of this thing where he wasn't really creating new sculpts on it. He was you know, like mashing up a bunch of old things, but I don't know if he still does just that or if, if there's sculpting involved now or it's hard to say.
0: Now, when Timothy was on, I kind of proposed the question of would this resin bootleg scene be where it is today without Sucklord, but there's also Dove Kellimer. He was the one that was on the documentary, and he runs DKE Toys, and as an outsider, I personally feel like DKE Toys is sort of like the backbone of the resin bootleg scene. I mean, Dove was the one that kind of gave, I think he gave uh, Sucklord his first opportunity and gave him his leg up and and really supported suck lord throughout all these years and he's also done that by having that amazing booth presence at these toy conventions san diego comic-con designer con he showcases all so many bootlegs at these events so i also wonder if dke toys didn't exist would the bootleg scene be what it is today
3: Um, i mean they definitely are the biggest pusher of it and helping get people or you know the highest profile pusher of it they're getting people's names out there who might not have that big a following online. Like, so, you know, if you're just a guy with a couple hundred friends on Instagram and you get your toy sold through DKE, now you're going to have a lot more people viewing it than before, you know? So it's not, and and I think even Doug would tell you, like he doesn't, you don't need him to sell your thing, but you know, to me, I think it's nice to have a guy who's like the go-to point man for like helping build the brand. He just loves that stuff so much that he's, you know, he's willing to, spend his money on a booth to sell other people's things.
1: Yeah. But would you, would you all equate? Cause in my mind, to me, based on that definition, what DKE is for bootleg artists, it almost sounds similar to what Martian toys is for customizers in the sense that when I think about Martian toys and the different custom shows they do and the people like they do these massive, massive shows And what I feel like the common theme I see with them is they're always bringing in new artists. It's not the same, you know, top names you kind of hear and see throughout. You're always seeing newbies brought in and them trying to help bring new names to light. And it kind of feels like DKE is doing that for the bootleg side.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree. I mean, they help establish artists that don't have established fan bases yet. And I think they kind of help introduce them to... Other avenues, right? I think if you're not established, if you don't have the fan base, you can't just go to a super plastic or a medicom or whatever and just say, hey, make my toy. It doesn't work that way. And I think that's why Martian Toys and DKE, they're great for giving these newcomers a leg up. Give them a chance. Yeah,
3: it's
0: like a leg up. I was going to say, I think there's definitely
3: guys who sell through DKE who don't need to. Like they, because like, most yeah. of these things they're made in very small numbers. Like if a guy's making ten or twenty or something, you don't need to go to DKE to sell that. Like you could probably find twenty people that you know that'll want to buy your thing. Um, but it's, it, I mean, it's nice to have that name brand recognition of getting it sold through DKE. You know, like it has it has that clout behind it now. Totally agree.
1: Yeah. Now, okay. One more quick question for my noob self. We keep saying like resin. Is every bootleg resin cast, or are there some people who literally take the original pieces and just mix and match them and sell that directly? Does that make
3: sense? Uh, I, I think it's cool. Uh, there's, there's a guy, I wish I knew that. I don't know. I'm terrible with names. I've always been on, this, on all the podcasts I've been on. There's a guy <laughs> who makes these things, and he, he more makes one-offs. So, like, he might not necessarily even need to mold something. He could just find a bunch of stuff, match it up, and repaint it. But he's more making, like, hey, I like I like Mega Man, so I'm going to make this, like, Mega Man figure. And he makes, like, a nice little package for it, and it makes a one-off. It's still technically the bootleg scene. Like, it's still that same thing, but he's not making a run of them. Yeah. I was With a lot of the curious. resin stuff. I mean, if you're doing resin stuff, it's usually because you're going to do a run of something.
1: Yeah, make multiples. Okay. I'm just curious um it's just a whole world that it's just it's new to me it's intriguing and it it makes me want more it's like you know we've seen a bite of the bootleg now i'm like "Hmm, i'd like to see like a kaiju one or a sofubi one or shoot i want to do one like all about cute like i don't know it just be it'd be interesting to explore all the different pockets especially the ones that like I feel like I'm constantly learning and growing and understanding more and more, but I don't know what I don't know. And I'm curious what else is out there that I've glazed over or glanced over because I just don't get it or understand it, or it doesn't appeal to my aesthetic. So I just have never delved deeper into it.
3: It's just, it'll, uh, it'll definitely yeah. change your, it'll change your decon walking around this year now. Cause you'll, you'll have a I'll little bit of these designer bootlegs and you'll have to go look at them now.
1: Yeah. It's, yeah, I mean because there's definitely boost, right? you're walking by and you're like, I don't know what that is like that's that's not that's not me. But now it's like, mm, like what is this? What is this categorized?
0: Latresa, let's talk more action. How get it do it. make that cute documentary.
1: You want me to make some documentaries, Gary?
0: <laughs> I do. I don't think you're busy enough. I think you need more on your plate. I think you should go buy a camera, take a trip to Ohio, take a trip to Japan, make that film.
1: Oh my God. You know, every time before like a five points or decon in my head, I have plans. I'm like, I'm going to do this or film this or blah, blah, blah. And it just never
0: happens.
1: But maybe, maybe somehow, some way I can have a passion project and 10 years from now, you'll see it.
0: <laughs> oh, I don't have 10 years to wait though. That's the problem. Why don't you do, uh, you've been doing that thing on the toy chronicle where you can upload your own articles and stuff there. Why don't you do that? Why don't you start, maybe like I um, would start like a monthly article called like the cute side of things or cute corner with teresa or you we haven't been using the uh that so Teresa thing anymore do you like that's so Teresa by Teresa Hawkins that would be kind of fun okay I will uh I will noodle that
1: find time amongst <laughs> all the crazy but, but yeah um do you all want to answer the whole bootleg versus indie question do you feel like for me all mm, i was gonna say the whole analogy like all thumbs are fingers but not all fingers are thumbs so all bootleg toys are indie but not all indie toys are bootleg
3: all fingers are
1: what all all thumbs are fingers but not all fingers are thumbs you not heard these analogies?
3: I <laughs> uh, have. I've, I've I've heard the Muppet version of that. I've never heard that thumbs and fingers one.
1: But, but that's the way I think about it. At the end of the day, is I would classify a bootleg in some way as an indie toy. But indie toys is a broader term to me. Indie is this is kind of synonymous with designer toy or art toy,
0: in my head. Yeah. No, I hear you. I don't think I get that deep with this stuff. I don't necessarily like the labels of things. I I can look at things for the most part and go, okay, that's a designer toy. That's an art object, whatever it's independently produced by that artist or even small run productions by companies. That's all. I still consider that independently like designer toys. I don't, I, I just look at things as designer toys and mainstream toys, bootlegs as bootlegs. I don't like too many labels confuses things. I like to keep it simple. Stop with the hoity-toity. It it's a struggle
1: because I even look. I'm looking to my right right now. I'm sitting at my desk and staring at this pile of toys, and I could like I could see how someone would say like that's more of an art toy than this. But like again, I don't care. Like I like them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Just buy it because it brings you joy. Like who? It doesn't matter. You know what? People outside the designer toy scene. Don't know if that's a mainstream toy or a designer toy or an art toy or a bootleg or an indie toy. They just see all of our stuff the same. They just see, oh, you're you collect toys. So that's it. It's just like collect what you want: toys, art toys, whatever. But for the sake of this podcast, we have to talk strictly designer toys because the, the, the mainstream toy world it's huge. The Mattels and the Hasbro's and all that stuff. We can't we can't focus on that area.
3: Sometimes so- I focus on them.
0: George, you definitely dabble more in the mainstream. We we've, we've all seen Toy Break and Behind the Camera. Well, <laughs> we all kind of do, of course. I, sure.
1: As collectors, we can't help but sometimes cross over. I mean, I know you you'll get more into mass market probably than either of us. But I mean, I'll catch on to Hatchimals or Cutie Cars or like something that's more mass because it appeals to me. It's just it's the collector in you, so.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't say I – that's the question of am I a collector. I don't necessarily collect any one thing, any one artist, any one brand. I just buy the things that I like. But, yeah, occasionally I walk into a Target or a Walmart or even a Walgreens all the time. I'm like, ah, that's cool. I'm going to pick that up. I just did it recently, something I picked up, uh, wow, probably like two weeks ago. Is it's it's a, it's a soft and slow squishy, and it's called Designers with a Z. But it's just rad little Yeti guy with an amazing textile printer. But yeah, it's mass mass produced, but it's awesome.
1: My current obsession outside of designer toys is you ever heard of Squishmallows? I can't remember if I've mentioned them before.
0: Yeah, Uh, that's a plush you mentioned a long time ago, right?
1: They, yeah, like I think uh, back when we talked Toy Fair, maybe a couple years ago, I mentioned them um, as kind of a side note. These things I'm telling you are blowing up. I think it's more of a younger kid kind of thing. I'm a young kid at heart. I don't care, but these are seriously the softest pillows ever. And they are just whipping them out here. And they're doing like the Funko model, right? Where there's a million store exclusives and a variety of sizes and colorways. And it's like, it's, but it's simplistic, right? It's, you know, cows and hedgehogs and dinos and whatever. But he's got that simple, stupid, cute, smiley face I love. And they are seriously <laughs> the softest things ever. And I have, I'll have to send you all a picture. I literally, it's bad. Like I went to Walgreens the other day to buy eye drops and I came home with a freaking giant dino squishmallow.
0: <laughs> I'm pretty certain you, you would buy anything with that simple, cute, kawaii face. Like if it was paint thinner, you would buy it because of that face was on it. It's
1: it's it's a hook for me. It's yeah. like people reel me in, and I see it. And if it's done right, it's like, gosh darn it! I'm trying to get better, like we said. I'm trying to be better this year, and kind of take a chill pill and like analyze what I got going on first. But I still can't help it. And it grabbed like I was like, that is fucking adorable. I have a Triceratops. It was like a different version Dino, a different color, and I was like, they can be friends. And they're massive, like huge pillows so that's my sort of divert george okay. go ahead what have you been buying mass market since we're talking about it
3: wait what were yours called again
1: Squishmallows. seriously like your kids gary would probably love them
0: oh i know they do because we own some i picked up some at probably walgreens i know we picked up some at costco one year
1: oh i didn't know you had any yeah,
0: squish we we but we have so many plushes now that we bought a beanbag shell and we stuff all of like the the, the Squishmallows and all the other plushes we have. And we, Now they're just giant beanbags in the house.
1: Oh, my gosh. It's, see, that's, it's, that's actually a kind of interesting idea because I'm starting to cure a little too many too much plush. And I was thinking about getting, you know, those like um, mesh sort of hammocks people will put in the corner of a room. Mm-hmm. And then, like, we'll put the plush in. I've been thinking about getting one of those to stick in a corner of one of my rooms so I can display my display some of the plush like that versus having them scattered on beds and couches and stuff. But the beanbag thing's interesting.
0: Man, we didn't last two minutes without talking about mainstream toys after I mentioned that we focus on designer toys.
1: We went in on a little tangent. <laughs> George, do you want to talk about anything mass market you're addicted to since we're talking about that?
0: Here we go. Um, uh, No. I think I already. must uh, <laughs> be looking week. at the clock. He knows we're almost on an hour. Let's wrap it up. Yeah, I well, feel like we're hitting our hour mark. Are we not?
1: Well, you know, you know what we ha- we didn't never look back. You hinted at this other kind of documentary around toys that's on YouTube, and I didn't know if we wanted to to dig into that more. But when we were talking about Mastercasters, which one of you discovered the was it Toy Masters series by Sci-Fi?
0: Yeah, that's it. That's I discovered that actually from master casters. I just I it left me wanting more, so I went on YouTube and started searching resin bootlegs, and I came across this cool little toy show on YouTube. It was called Toy Masters, and it was. Um, It's like a cool little, I think it's a 10 minute series. I think there's maybe five episodes in total. And one of the episodes was on resin bootlegs. It was very informative. They kind of did a countdown of some of their favorites, but it did dive into the the toy scene a little bit and introduce some people that I had never heard of before. So that was a cool watch. And then other little episodes about like top 10 toys during the holiday season or top scariest toys seen in this toy store. And it's really well done. It was hosted by a guy named Tom Neff. And if anyone's looking for just a fun little show to watch on YouTube, I highly suggest checking it out. It's comical and well-produced.
1: Yeah. Uh, the thing that was most interesting, I watched him back to back. I watched Mastercasters and then the sci-fi version. And the thing that was most intriguing to me was other than the suckler, completely different people were discussed, which which was so intriguing to me, just it, it seems like, you know, one person's interpretation of who's big or who's worthy, like who they want to highlight in the bootleg scene could be very different when someone from someone else. And it seemed like the sci fi one, the guy was focused on what he was personally interested in, like what attracted what was attractive to him. And so it was just intriguing to hear completely different names mentioned. And and what what side of the scene he was he was interested in. Like he really liked the parody stuff. Or people finding like really small obscure things to highlight. So that was that was for me the it was interesting to see.
3: And it definitely seemed like he was showcasing more of the uh, the guys that do the like this thing never had a toy. I want to make a toy of it instead of the people who are being like I don't want to say more creative, but just coming up with a different world of their own with it.
0: Right, you know, I almost even bothered watching that Toy Master series because the descriptions on YouTube—they're like made it seem like they were just a top ten lesson. I don't want to watch that, but I don't know why. I, I still gave it a chance, and it turned out they were really fun and uh, actually quite informative. So I'm glad that, and I wouldn't discovered it if it wasn't for um, Master Cashers. So, um, but you know what? One bootleg I did see was it was the um, Wilford Brimley diabetes one. That's great. Yes.
2: Diabetes.
0: he's the best it was awesome though that's the bootleg that I gravitate towards those ones that just kind of clever well done and just I guess I it's probably just somehow attaches to my past too
3: well like South Park said those are all the member berries those are like hey remember this Mm -hmm. that's all like that's how they sell like do you remember this yeah that's it that's all it takes to understand that toy there's no there's nothing else there's no deeper level than hey do you remember this that's true. I don't know. To me, that's not as appealing. I like the guys that are making up stuff with it. But, yeah. uh, I mean, there's, of course, you know, when you remember it, and it's, you remember it fondly, you're going to like it. Like, yeah. hey, remember this? Okay, buy it.
1: it. It is an interesting sort of split between those those two sides of things. I, I think I'm kind of side probably more with Gary, that I'm probably more attracted to the go, oh, that's that thing from that show or commercial or things. Well, yeah, because it's
3: gonna... easy to it's easy to latch on yeah. to something that a, a mega company has already spent tens of millions of dollars to make you like, <laughs> you know, it's harder <laughs> to get you like star, star Killer that you've never heard of or seen before. And this is your first time ever looking at it, where right next to it is Darth Vader. And you're like, oh, yeah, I, I know that I grew up on that. So it's those are the things that to me, those are low hanging fruit. It's just like it's it's just the thing that's it's easy. And sure, you know, there's a guy you know had to come up with it and put the talent in just to make the thing. And I don't know; it's just, I guess, it's just as talented. But to me, those are the that's the low hanging fruit of the
1: scene. I get it; it's built off of something that already exists versus creating something new, building off of other pieces to create essentially a new product at the end.
3: Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong; I bought plenty of them. I, you know, I buy both. I buy both kinds. But it's definitely an easier sell, I would imagine, if you're if you're creating something. You know, if you're creating just, so sorry about the noise.
1: Just <laughs> throw like some meat on a pan. Yes, yeah,
3: we just started to cook stuff in the background It started sizzling <laughs> real bad.
1: I heard. I was like, I lost oh, of
3: my train of thought on that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, let's wrap this episode up. We're at an hour.
0: <laughs> well, hold on. That's, was there anything else? Because last week we didn't touch on the co- coronavirus at all, the impact on the toy industry.
3: I'll tell you that coronavirus thing is really screwing up timelines this year. Like you know, it's all we're just kind of seeing the beginning of it. Depending on how long it lasts, this could be, it could be pretty, uh, pretty harmful for the economy for the toy industry. It's, it's definitely. Uh, the original Chinese New Year was supposed to end on the 3rd, and the workers were going to go back to work on the 3rd, and then uh, the government mandated the shutdown last until the 10th,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and then uh, we're obviously past the 10th now, and it still hasn't come back yet. They've been, uh, they're, you know, kind of ordered to take it slow, and as they see what happens with this whole thing, so they're expecting maybe the 18th, and then that's, that's maybe at the earliest, so... We're not even to the point yet where we know when they're going to start back up. And there's, it's not just toys. I mean, all the car manufacturers in China, all the medical, you know, supplies. Not only supplies, but some of the medicines themselves. Like everything is made in China now. Like it's crazy. It's it's going to be it's going to be tough to see what happens with all this. Um, I think that a lot of the medical plants have been told to go back to work already, but obviously the ancillary stuff like a toy factory, they're you know keeping them rightly so keeping the workers safe by telling them to just stay home right now
0: yeah it's great that they're thinking about safety but at the same time it's it's also nuts to think that these factories have been shut down a total of a month so far That's you know the impact is definitely going to be seen and felt yeah
3: i would i would see like i would guess that there's probably going to be a lot of uh san diego comic-con exclusives that may not make it this year mm-hmm. uh, it's unless those people were planning well ahead and it's you know, and they're going to be able to squeeze it in, you know, beforehand. It's, it could, I mean, and we don't even know what the, what's going to happen with uh, shipping. Like what happens when, if it's done and it's ready to ship out of China is, does it have to be quarantined for a certain amount of time? Is there going to be a, you know, what's, what's going to happen to all that product? Is it, how, who's going to ship it here? I mean, I know that there's some, some airlines that aren't even flying to or from China right now. Holy shit. Sorry, it's the cats. The
1: oh, okay. I, nope, to, I, there was, I was like, I hope Jen's is okay. She do
3: have
0: a pen. Babe, go sit down. My, my purse, literally <laughs> fell off, like On top of it, Like everything just fell out of my purse.
3: Uh, uh, well, what were we nice. talking about? Go I'm sit down.
1: Here.
3: We're almost done.
1: You were talking about flights uh, not going in and out.
3: Should oh, you? yeah. So like we don't even know like what's going to happen Cause there's, you know, I'm sure you guys have heard about that uh, Japanese cruise line where yep. they're, yes. they are uh, they have to be 14 days clear without someone getting coronavirus before they can let everybody off. Yep. But that gestation period, if someone gets sick, then there's another 14 days they got to start over again. So who knows what happens with like, is this product going to have to be quarantined for 14 days when it comes in? Like, wow, it's, I, yeah. I don't know. You know, we don't, we don't know the effects of what's going to happen with this stuff.
1: Yeah. And it, I you know you mentioned San Diego, but I know Toy Fair is coming is, up.
0: It's Toy this weekend. Fair.
1: Yeah, and I, I Clem as an example, Big Shot Toy Works. And I've seen a few posts by him of like I'm trying to figure out a way to like backdoor myself from China in time. Like, so it's it's not just, you know it's big companies, but also people in our scene as well being affected by what's happening over there.
3: What you might not realize when like what Gary was saying when the factory shut down for that two week period all those workers go home so they you know they're working at the factories and they basically live at the factory uh for that like there's dormitories and all that that the factories have so you're basically kind of living away from your family for months on end at chinese new year they all leave so they go home back to their rural towns and farms and where you know where all their families are so that one day when they're supposed to come back everybody's on the, like those trains are overloaded those all the like the transit systems imagine like you're just you're with the crowd of millions like everybody's going back from their farm to the work so imagine if there's if they come back early because they want to open their factory to make your toy and one guy comes in with the coronavirus and gets a trainload of people like it's it could be devastating like it's yeah. if it's if it's something they can't control and people are actually dying from this thing you definitely have to be cautious and you can't i mean if one guy in a factory gets it everyone's gonna get it i'm sure it's just like that cruise ship where it's just that recycled air going through, you know,
1: to everybody. Yeah, it, it's scary. I mean, business aside, I mean, I've heard it, it's hard being over here to, to kind of get a feel for, you know, how bad it is. But hearing stories about, what's going on and and people like all the masks are selling out so from a collector standpoint i have seen posts in groups of people posting up photos of toys they want to sell and they want to sell them in exchange for masks because they cannot find face masks anywhere to protect themselves so they're attempting to trade toys for them
3: yeah it's crazy and i don't even know if like it's gonna be a weird time right now, just kind of figuring out this whole system. And who knows, by the time this goes up, maybe maybe they figure it out and it starts again. We don't know, you know, we just don't know what it's gonna happen.
0: Yeah. It's just kind of a wait and see scenario. It's it's definitely gonna throw off some timelines and companies are just gonna to have to adjust. It's it's unfortunate. But and I'm sure, you know, we're probably gonna see we might not see it, but I'm sure there's some companies going to New York Toy Fair this weekend that were probably waiting for some last minute samples or prototypes to arrive, you know?
3: Yeah. I mean it's it's funny because like a lot of that a lot of that prototyping that all used to be done here, now with the advent of the digital sculpting and the three printing, a lot of those companies go and get mm-hmm. their stuff three printed overseas. And it's just funny because like if they would have just been doing it the old fashioned way, everything would be fine. All your prototypes would be here and cast here and made here, but everyone's trying to save a buck, so they go to China, so
1: but speaking of Toy Fair, I'll have to keep my eyes peeled. Every year, I'm always curious to see what you know, what gets revealed, and what's coming out.
0: Yeah, throughout the year. So yeah, it's always fun seeing Toy Fair stuff. But, anyways, we need to wrap this up because we are now the Marsham hour and eight minutes. So let's let's end it here. Why don't each of you take a brief moment and let our listeners know where they can find you? Teresa, go first.
1: Sure. Teresa Hawkins, find
3: me on Instagram tmhawk24. Uh, you can find me at Double G Toys on Instagram, and don't forget about Timothy Patrick, who is at Masters Mastercasters, I think, right? And then you can also find him at Indie Film Grit.
0: Okay, I'm Gary Ham. You can find me at Gary Ham on Instagram or SuperHam.com. This has been the Marsham Toy Hour. We do this every week, not because we have to,
1: because we want to.
0: So until our next transmission, we're signing off. Bye.
1: Bye. We did it.
0: We did it. You should make that pause, like, extra
3: long. A pause that always comes when before someone else answers.
1: George, I pause because I never know if you're going to do it with me.
3: It's you. I'm always waiting for you. I'm not going to do it. It's you 100%. You always go next. You always go second in name. And you always say the thing at the end.
1: But George, Don't you're allowed to, to go second or talk.
3: Ladies first.
1: Next episode, okay, next episode, you say your name first and you finish the ending.